Hello and welcome to episode 66 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. Okay, so this episode we have with us one of my favorite writers. And so this is why I had to like steal the intro this time. Uh, fellow X-Men fan and uh, just writer extraordinaire, uh, Sam J. Miller. I am stoked to have you here for our last Pride episode of the month. And yeah, I I mean, I guess we could just get right to it because we only have an hour and I want to spend it as much as possible talking about your stuff. So I'm going to turn it over to Will. He usually starts off with the questions and then I have a few towards the end. Awesome. That sounds great. I'm super happy to be chatting with y'all. Yeah, we, we're stoked to have you. Uh, so Sam, describe your career in three words. And it can be completely disconnected. It doesn't have to be a sentence. Three random words. Messy, delightful, and I see See, if I was a writer, I could give you a third word and it would be amazing <laughs> and it would be the perfect word. Um, I don't know. Angry. Okay, cool. So now we're going to unpack those three words. I don't words. remember what the first two words were. I do. I wrote them down. So we're going to unpack those three words. So talk to me about messy. Uh, Yeah, I'm like, I'm really all over the place. I have tried a bunch of genres and and written a bunch of things that are all over the place. My first novel was a young adult novel. And then I followed that up with a dystopian far future science fiction. Um, And my latest novel, The Blade Between, is a horror novel. Um, So, I mean, I've also made like a ton of mistakes. And it took me, my, my debut novel that was published in 2017, The Art of Starving, was actually like my sixth or seventh novel because I wrote a bunch of novels before it that no one wanted. Um, and so I sort of like really have made all the mistakes along the way that, that well, not all the mistakes you can make because there's no end to mistakes, but I've made a lot of mistakes. So messy um, is definitely the word, the, the first word that, that came, to, came to mind. Awesome. And delightful. Um, delightful. I've been having fun. I hope other people have been having fun if they, if they read my stuff. Um, even when I'm like, you know, screaming about things or writing about things that are really dark and twisted and make me feel all the things. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a real privilege to be a writer. It's a real like, um, honor and responsibility to be able to tell stories and have them find an audience. And so I don't, um, take any of it for granted. And I like, you know, from like my days, like, trying to get a a sexy gay erotica story into like a punk rock zine um, to, you know, wherever I am now has been like, it's all been fun, even when I've been like making horrible mistakes. Amazing. And then angry. Yeah. uh, You know, you would think angry and delightful are could not coexist peacefully, but somehow they do. Um, Because even though I am having a delightful time and, and have really um, had a blast at like every point of the writer journey. Um, I'm also really angry about a lot of things. The world is really full of horrible problems that I really hate and that are really like a big motivating factor for me as a person and, and as a writer. And I spent 15 years as a community organizer working on issues of like housing and homelessness and police reform in New York city. And so I had to like, it was like, it's, you know, it, it made me who I am and I, and I loved it and wouldn't have traded a minute of it, but it also meant 
prolonged proximity to just the most unspeakable violence and oppression and and systemic injustice. And so, yeah, there's a lot to be angry about. Um, so I think that um, trying to tell stories that reflect my anger and that that can sort of like help people who might also be angry about the things that make me angry feel like they can do something about those problems is like, you know, that was that was my job as a community organizer. And I think that's also my job as a writer. So um, touching upon uh, like genre hopping, was that a conscious decision or was it more of like how you were in your creative space? Were you just trying to write whatever um, you felt like writing and that you felt moved to write at that point? Yeah, I think it's just it just the, this this the shit happens. Like this is like who knows what the next story is going to be that's going to like knock on my door and be like, "Hello, I'm your next appointment." I'm sorry <laughs> about all those other people who've been in the waiting room, but they will have to wait. Um so yeah, I mean like I I read really widely. I I read a lot of genres and I watch a lot of television and and movies and um you know get a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places and 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 so often when i'm figuring out a story it will go down a strange road based on like i don't know not necessarily like the last book i read but like a book i read 10 years ago that i'm like oh yeah this is sort of like that other thing um so you know, I I also like really like love genre and I love every genre's um, toolkit and the rules and the, the gifts that it gives you. I'm also really bad at genre and I always think that I'm writing something in one genre and it turns out to be something else. Um, so I have fun with it, um, but I don't know that I like, you know, there's always genre gatekeepers who are going to tell you that something is or isn't um, the right fit for the genre. Um, and and th- that's usually pretty easy to tune out as a writer is like, yeah, I'm just going to do this thing I want to do. Um, so yeah, I'm playing in everybody's yard and some of them aren't happy to have me, but here I am. So I have one more question before I'll turn it over to Brent for a bit. Um, did you get pushback or did you have to plan with your agent about how strategic you were going to be in those instances of like changing genres and going from young adult to adult? Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, I'm really fortunate. I have an amazing agent and, uh, you know, I feel like I know a lot of agents, um, or writers who have vented or have shared with me that their agents are a little more directive in terms of like what their next project should be or what they should think about or, you know, whether their next project is ready to go out, right? Like, oh no, you, you know, this needs to go, you need to do more work on this. My agent has always been, uh, my agent is Seth Fishman at the current company. Um, he's amazing. Uh, and he's always been like, yeah, do what you want to do. Like when I, you know, I think that, um, uh, I think that one of the pieces of, um, wisdom you often get, um, when you've had a little bit of success in a genre is to keep doing it. Um, and so after Blackfish City came out, my second novel, my first for, for, you know, regular adults, um, uh, uh, you know, there's sort of like a, an idea that if something lands, if something like gets award nominations or gets, you know, gets a good response, you should keep doing it. Um, and I'm sure that's like, I know that that's valid advice for many artists and many artists sort of like do that and that's a natural fit for them. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, the next novel that came along after Blackfish City was like a gentrification noir horror novel um, called The Blade Between. And so, you know, Seth has always been like, yes, do the thing you want to do. Like, if you're not sure what to do, if you have two things you want to do, we can talk about like, this is like what would be involved. And if you go this way versus this way, um, but 
what it's, it ultimately comes down to me and, and what I want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as YA, um, goes like, I really love young adult, um, books. And so that was like a, a natural fit for me is like, yeah, I love these stories. I want to tell these stories. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, this is going to sound weird because I think there's this idea that young adult is often very like sheltered, like, oh, you know, these are for kids, so they have to be protected. Um, but I think there's an honesty to young adult that isn't that doesn't exist in regular adult books the same way. There's a rawness. There's a comfort with confusion. There's like a I think w- when you write an adult novel, you sort of like have to pretend like, you know, all the answers. And when you write a young adult novel, you're sort of like it goes with the territory that you know nothing that you're like, I am just a confused person telling a story about a world I don't fully understand. Um, so and, you know, even though I have a lot of like sex and cursing in my um, young adult, um, as in like all my stuff, like, you know, that's never been a problem for my editor. Um, when we sold The Art of Starving, um, but actually before we sold it, when uh, my editor at Harper Teen made an offer on it, but before we had accepted it, we had a phone call to make sure it was a good fit. And I was like, how comfortable are you with the amount of F-bombs and gay sex in this young adult novel? And she said, I think it has the perfect amount of F-bombs and gay sex. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, it, that, that felt like, yeah, we could probably work together. That's amazing. As a follow-up to that too, be, because I know, you know, there's a lot of our community that are looking for agents and haven't published yet. And is this something once they do get an agent and have a debut, um, would you encourage, uh, would you encourage writers that just have maybe one novel out there to do what you did? And even if they don't have that agent, right. To say like, I would like to write this now kind of thing. Cause I know the industry is kind of fickle in that way. Um, and it depends on the you know publisher and the uh, agent and all that, but is there something to be, would you encourage them to do that? I guess is my question. I feel very nervous giving anyone career advice because I'm like, (laughs) "Eh, maybe this is like, you know, in many ways, I'm very proud of my career and I love what I've done. But maybe this is like, maybe there's better role models for your career. Like maybe there are people who've made better decisions. So um, I think it's important for artists to write the books that they want to write. Like whatever, like whether or not it's the right moment for it to sell, Mm -hmm. whether or not your agent is the one to sell it, whether or not anyone in the world but you is ready for this book. If that's the book you want to write, that's the one you should write. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe it like, you know, it's not its moment. Maybe it needs to, um, to sit for a while or, or maybe you're, you know, like, um, I had an agent before my current agent who I had to leave because it wasn't a good fit. And that's a really difficult process when you're an agent, when you're an author who like doesn't have a book out and you you fought like hell to get an agent by parting ways with your agent when you don't have someone else lined up is a hard decision, but a really necessary one. And I definitely like, I often counsel my friends who are like, I don't know how I feel about my agent to be like, you should leave your agent. Like if you're not loving your agent, if you're not feeling like it's (laughs) a great fit, like don't, they, this is your career. This is not their career. Fuck their feelings. Um, like don't be, don't be a jerk about it. Don't be disrespectful. But if, if it's, if they're not (laughs) selling, if they're not selling your books, if they're not able to, um, like make it happen for you, then like it's, then maybe it isn't the fit. Um, and they have many clients. Um, you only have one career, so it should, it should always be about you and what you want to do. Thank you. That's awesome advice. Whether you were trying to give advice or not. <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, you know, um, apologies, you know, retrospective apologies. If anyone follows that advice and like fucks up their whole life. And burns yeah, or- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So 
Will, was your grilling officially finished or? My grilling is finished for right now. You may start. <laughs> the, will gr- <laughs> the will grill is on hold. Yeah, yeah the will it's, grill. It's famous. It's famous. <laughs> we, yeah, I've been subjected to it a number of times. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so I want to talk about because I've read every book you've ever put out. So I was like, ah, this is my chance. I get to talk about some stuff. All right. So something I've noticed in like all of your work is that you kind of have class struggles where like, you know, you have the upper class, the middle class, lower class, people that float between like all in conflict with each other in various ways. But I don't ever see you taking like the easy route of vilifying one side completely or, you know, making the other side completely heroic. So I guess my question is, how do you keep uh, a humanity centered kind of vision when you're building those conflicts between class? Because especially with the work you've done, I think it would be very easy for you to vilify certain people, but yet you still give them humanity. So. It's really interesting you say that because that is like a huge tension. Like I remember when I um, first started as a community organizer, um, you know, I, I, was, I had this quote that I always use, which is, you know, from the talented Mr. Ripley about how like, you know, nobody thinks they're a bad person. Whatever you do, however horrible, it all makes sense to you in your mind. So no one's going around thinking like I'm a horrible villain. Like even if you're like evicting families and throwing their, um, you know, families with kids out into the street in the middle of winter, which is something that I think is like a horrible villain act, you know, that person like has a, has their reasons and that action makes sense to them and um, they're trying to protect their family or whatever is going on. And I remember saying that at a, at a meeting and like being yelled at by one of my organizer mentors, like, no, it doesn't matter if they have their reasons. It doesn't matter if they think they're a, a good person. They're a bad person doing bad things. And so, yes, in organizing, you need that narrative of like, this person is doing something bad. They need to stop. Um, and, and that's important. But when you're, you know, storytelling is about like, when I think about the, the role of a storyteller as an activist, um, it's about like replacing a story. It's about taking a story people have in their mind already um, and changing it and replacing it with a better one. Like, you know, there's the story that a lot of people have in their minds around police officers is like, oh, you know, police officers, like, you know, um, they have a really hard job. They're always in danger. If they overreact in some situations, we need to cut police officers some slack. I think that's a, that's a, a story a lot of people have in their minds and is part of why we haven't seen police reform like happening in the way that that um, and there's a lot of reasons to it that um, is its own separate uh, podcast. But I think being able to replace that narrative of like you know yeah. these these are these are these are complicated, but these are humans who are making decisions and and you know um, you know they even even when they're doing something I think is like supremely villainous. Um, like if I can like make them. Uh, make sense to people, especially people who are not in the same place as me, people who might think the might have the opposite story in their mind, then I think it's more likely that I can take them on that journey of like, um, you know, I identify with this person who's doing a terrible thing. And maybe if I take that character on a journey, I can take that reader on a journey to 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 understand an issue differently. Yeah. No, and I mean, I, I feel like you do. Like, I, that's the thing. Like, every every book of yours I've read, I've always felt that, okay, this person on the page, I should on paper hate them, but 
you manage to give those moments of like sympathy for that character. I think that's why I love Go so much from Blackfish City because like on paper, Go is like a villain, and I like I was like you should hate her, but she's actually very sympathetic in a lot of ways. And by the end of that book, I was like Team Go all the way. So yeah, you do a very good job of like infusing humanity into uh, people that we probably wouldn't normally root for in the day to day. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess on that same note, this is my next question. So talking about humanity and the kind of full breadth of it. Another thing I really, really love about your work and that kind of like, I I think one of the reasons I latched onto it, especially when I, after I read Art of Starving, I was like, ah, um, was that you have this deep intersectionality of queer men in your work, right? Like they're poor sometimes, they're of color, like, you know, they're dealing with mental illness, they're dealing with, you know, eating disorders, they're not physically like, you know, grinder perfect or whatever, like they, <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah, they just, they come, they're, they're just real, they're just real people. And I mean, unfortunately, I feel like I can't name a whole lot of writers right alongside you in fiction that I think are, science fiction and fantasy, especially that I think are doing that. So um, I guess my question to you is like, why do you feel that that's the case? Like, why do you feel like this intersectionality of queer men in in like genre fiction is still feels kind of like poorly represented? Um, I mean, I think that um, we are entering or, or like in the early stages of an amazing renaissance of queer literature. And we are seeing tons of like really diverse queer stories being told. And um, I think we are leaving a period which we have been in for, for a really long time where like, you know, like we have to like fight to prove our, like our value and that we have a right to exist. Um, and so it's always been about like, you know, what is the least offensive? What is the most bland mainstream? You know, if you look at the history of like queer representation in television, especially it's like, like it's a lot of white dudes and like, you know, they're funny and non-threatening and wealthy and don't have problems except like being gay. Um, and so like, you know, sort of fighting for like, our right to be taken seriously as human beings has pre like preoccupied the conversation so much that like our right to be like a hot mess, our right to be like addicts and mentally ill and, you know, poor and doing, you know, making sketchy decisions because like they are the best decisions we can make in a given situation um, are, is like an exciting moment we're just now arriving in. And, and I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited about what's, what's, what's going to happen um, in terms of that. But I think that that's, that's true all over the place. I think publishing has been so sure. like boring and like, especially when any kind of marginalized community story, publishing has only wanted to see one story from that community. And usually it's like, what's the story you right. are most like, what's the, the story of you as like a person who's like, suffering in pain like what's your what's your pain tell us your pain that's the book we want um and pain is super valid and important and we should be able to tell the stories about our pain but we should also be able to tell the stories about our partying and our you know our our families and our love and our sex and our you know food whatever like whatever it is that makes us amazing and so um yes publishing has has uh, a, a lot to answer for in terms of like the uh, homogeneity of stories that have been um, that people have had at their disposal. And it's only like, it's a moment where a lot of amazing writers are being like, no, these, this story and this story and this story and this story. 
Yes, I absolutely agree. Ah, I love that answer because it just it speaks to so much of what I've been. I mean, I've talked about it in other episodes too, where I've just felt like queer men just have not been allowed to be like the full depth of our experience within fiction. And unfortunately, and I think part of that too is like, I mean, I, I think you're right, Sam. We're seeing like definitely a renaissance. And I think seeing more queer men actually kind of taking space and being like, hey, I'm going to tell my own story. Like maybe y'all could back off a little bit has been important. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I guess, okay, so this, this is... um. This is my next question. See, I actually worded these right because they're like all leading into each other really well. So, <laughs> good job. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I did a good job. All right. So, um, so speaking of like, you know, telling our own stories, one thing I really, really admire about your writing and also at the same time, it kind of scares me because it makes me think about how I have to push myself is that you put so much of yourself on that page. Like when I'm reading a Sam Miller story, no matter what the genre or the topic, I feel like you're just like cutting your wrists and just like all over the page. Like that's like, that's what we're getting. And it's scary because like that, that that's, there's a risk in that. Like you're just really putting yourself out there like that. And I admire it. But so I guess, I guess my question is um, how do you walk that tightrope of like bringing yourself into the work in like that intimate way, but at the same time creating that distance to be able to tell a good functional story. Cause I, I can imagine that must be tough. This is such an interesting question because I feel like I always like my default um, has always been like, you should go to the scary place. Like what, like the reason that I didn't sell the six novels that came before the art of starving was because I was trying really hard not to write the art of starving. I was like, let me tell, like, let me try to write the hunger games. Let me try to write Battlestar Galactica. Let me try to do every other thing except the, like the, like twisted, disturbing, um, you know, fucked up story, um, of my, of my own adolescence. I mean, I didn't have superpowers, but otherwise it's pretty right on. Um, and so I think that that, that has always been my sort of like advice to writers is like, you know, you're going to want to hide from the stories that are most pressing and important and, and, and urgent to you. And, um, and I think that that's, it's often like a really, you know, that for me, it was like the way that I tapped into my, you know, whatever. Um, but now I'm sort of like, eh, maybe I shouldn't give that advice because like, I don't think that like, you know, publishing wants pain, publishing wants those stories. I think that, um, it's not always necessary to do that. So I'm sort of like, putting a caveat out there of like, um, it is a, it, it has been my path. And I think it's a, it's like where I tap into the stories that I'm most, um, jazzed about, but I don't think it's everyone's path. And so like, it's totally possible to not go that path. And especially for folks, you know, from marginalized communities where, you know, there's like, uh, traffic in, um, uh, pain. Um, I think it, it's, it's, you know, it can be a dangerous piece of advice to give, I guess. So that's, that's sort of like, I haven't even gotten to answering your question. That's like the caveat to answering your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that um, for me, I, I think that when I, like, that's just where it comes to life. The, the more I put on my page, what scares me, what excites me, what turns me on, what freaks me out. Like that's when a story starts to come to life. Um, and so um, there's gotta be a little bit of me, even if it's a little bit of me being like, you know, like I've written a couple different stories 
one of the things that, you know, I think as a queer person, we've, we've all, we all sort of like acknowledge as a reality, even if it's not our reality, is that like a lot of people, when they come out, their parents disown them, their, they, their family turns the back on them, they kick them out of their, their, their home, um, homes. And so that idea of a parent who like rejects their child for being queer um, is something that like I find horrifying and, and, and confusing. And so like I've written a couple stories where the protagonist is that parent and I'm like, I want to figure this person out. Like I want to get to where they got so twisted up inside that that's how they respond to their, their child's selfhood. Um, so uh, yeah, like whatever, even if it's me, like a thing that, that pisses me off um, uh, that that's when a story starts to really spark for me is like, Oh, now I'm, now I'm going to that place. Um, so, so yeah, then, and then, and then, and then I write it and then I think, oh shit, people are going to read this. And then I decide whether or not to scale it back. And usually I decide not to, um, and, uh, and it's a mistake. So uh, here we are. I mean, not for me, I, as, as a, as a reader, as a reader and I guess slash writer, like I admire the hell out of it. Like it's like every time. I mean, it makes it easy for me to go to your work because I know that I'm going to get something real. It may not, it may not be pleasant. It may not always feel great reading it, but it's going to be real. And yeah, so for my part, keep doing it. Like that's yeah. Thank you, thank you. My mom, my mom is an amazing writer, and she's written some dirty shit herself, and she's always supported me to like go to the go to the twisted place I need to go. But sometimes I'll be reading a story at a reading or something, and she'll be there, and I'll like. Oh shit! I have to read this sex scene. I forgot this was here, <laughs> and those are the moments where I start to think maybe I should have decided differently. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will, I, I think you were going to jump back in here. All right, so Sam, this is my question then. So I'm writing something that is about a heist that I actually did when I was a teenager, and I didn't realize, and it's science fiction but I kind of based the heist around something I actually did. Um, when you wrote like the art of starving and when you put so much of yourself into it, that can be traumatic. How do you center yourself so that you aren't getting involved with negative emotions or something that was triggering or trauma filled when you're writing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that, for me, it's always been about the whole journey of the story. So the story might involve trauma. It might involve going to that place. But if you are going to stay there, I think it's dangerous. If you're going to take the journey somewhere else, um, like, you know, I had a real like, you know, I really wrestled with this, you know, um, the, the, the ramifications of writing a story where eating disorders give you superpowers is that like people will read that. And many people who have eating disorders, like will turn to that as like a thing, like a validation. Um, and you know, having had one, I know that mentality of like, I feel like this gives me a superpower. And also I'm like desperate for things that validate this thing that I'm doing to myself. So like, yeah, that, that, that like, am I, how can I do this responsibly? How can I tell this story, especially for young people? And realizing that like taking Matt, the protagonist on this journey of like, here's the damage. Um, 
but here's the healing, like getting to that healing, getting to that place of like, you know, I, you know, I, here's how I got out of my pain. And maybe here's how you can get out of that pain. Like, that's the kind of thing that makes a story like not exploitative, not damaging. I mean, it, you know, people can be triggered by anything and, and you as a writer can be triggered by anything. And I've definitely written shit where I'm like, nope, putting this in the drawer, can't do this. This is too, like, this is too much. This is too triggering or traumatic, or I can't take that journey. Uh, and that's valid, like that, you, you know, follow your follow your, your gut on that. Um, but I think that, yeah, rooting yourself in the overall journey um, is is crucial. Like I wrote with, with The Blade Between, I'm writing about the gentrification of my hometown. I'm writing about like a real situation that tons of people who I love are still caught up in. And like, yeah, like that, I'm like, you know, I know people who are being displaced and I know people who are, you know, gentrifiers in Hudson. And so like, you know, probably some of them are going to be pissed off by this book, but, um, uh, you know, by taking that journey together of like, here's what healing could look like. Here's how we can get to a different place. Um, here's how our pain can, can be transformed. I, at least, at least my conscience is clear, you know, um, I, I feel like I'm, um, you know, offer not, not being negative, not harping on the negativity. And it was actually really healing to write both those books, the blade between and the art of starving. They did help me to come to terms with a situation that was co continuing to cause me pain because I hadn't fully understood it. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, uh, the, 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 there is that potential. It's not automatic. It might be a really hard journey for, for you or for any writer, but I think it's, that's the possibility that keeps me going down that road. Even when I'm like, Holy, this, this road is terrifying. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess, uh, that's going to be to like a craft question, I guess too. So. So when you're when you're writing this out and you are dealing with those painful spots, are you like a linear writer so that you can go through the journey? Or are you like if you get to a spot in the journey where it's like kind of rough, you're like, OK, let me go write a part that I think is a, a little less rough and then come back to this or. <laughs> I think I'm pretty linear. I tend to like I describe myself, you know, there's this eight tale as old as time divide in the writer community between the outliners and the pantsers. And I'm kind of like a one leg on pantser. Like I'm like, um, I have an outline. It's not finished and I'm not going to follow it, uh, but it exists. Um, and so like I'll often write an outline and then like reach a place where I'm like, oh, these characters have figured themselves out. They would never do that thing that I originally wanted them to do. Um, and so, you know, if the, the times when I will turn away from a linear progression is usually not like, oh, this is too painful. It's usually like, oh, this isn't the right thing for this character or for this story. Um, it might be like, oh, I need to like go for a bike ride before I write this scene um, or immediately afterwards. Um, but um, usually it's like, you know, if it's if it's the right scene, I can get through it. That's just me personally. Like I support people saying like, you know what, let me write this scene later. Um, if, if that's what they're, uh, you know, if that's how it's going to, if that's what's going to make for the best scene. Yeah. I was just wondering that. Cause I was like, I know that we'll probably maybe running into some of these walls and be like, okay, maybe I don't want to deal with that right now. So let me come back to it. So, all right. Um, our right, next question, this one should be more fun. All right. So, What's a genre that you have not touched on yet that you really, really want to in the future? 
Well, speaking of the, 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 the story that showed up my, at my door and decided that they were going to be my next appointment, um, I really, like, I, I was a, I double majored in college in cinema studies and Russian literature. Um, and I um, have always wanted to write something about the Great Terror uh, in the 1930s uh, in Russia. Um, and so I kind of want to write a historical thriller about um, people in, in Leningrad in the 1930s. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm like that, that appointment I have deferred. I've been like, <laughs> you know what? Take a seat. I'll be with you as soon as I can. We're a little backed up today. Um, and by today, I mean in the 2020s. Um, and so, you know, uh, I'll get to you as soon as I can. Um, so, but, but also like, you know, I love graphic novels and I'm working on a graphic novel pitch and like, I'm all, I'm, I'm all over the place um, with, with what I want to do uh, uh, next. Okay, that's cool. A historical novel that I just I I admire anybody who does anything with historical in it because of the research alone. It's like you have to figure out what kind of shoes people wore in <laughs> the 1930s. Like what? Like I would never even think of that. So and I'm and I'm <laughs> and I'm actually really bad at research because I get super into it and I'm like, "Oh, I want to put in all the things." And then like it's not a story, it's a Wikipedia entry. It's like <laughs> great, good that you got excited about like I I just I have this um novella that um I finished uh that should be coming out next year about gay Jewish boxers in the 1920s and like I love boxing. Oh. Um uh I love uh boxing history and there's some like gnarly shit in there that I turned up in my research that I'm like, stop, walk away from the book you're reading and don't put that in the, st in the book, even though like it's amazing um, because that's not part, doesn't have anything to do with any of the characters or their, or their story. So um, yeah, it's going to be a, a struggle if I do decide to go into the historical uh, thriller area, because I'll be like, guys, Guess what? Um, people ate in Leningrad in the 1930s. No one cares, Sam. No. Or at least, or, or they, or they care for a paragraph. They don't care for a chapter. Yeah, no, don't don't do like a Jordan, Robert Jordan, and give us like a whole page about the spoons. Yeah. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I have a so with research. So Blackfish City, the science in it. At least for me, at least the science felt kind of strong. So did you do a lot of research for that one or was that just more like you just went for it? Well, the interesting thing to me is like I think of like urban planning as a science, right? Like I think of like people in science fiction tend to think of science as like, you know, physics, chemistry, biology, you know, astronomy, like robotics, like AI, like the, the hard sciences. But like, you know, I find like um, sociology, um, anthropology and history, uh, and things like that, super exciting and interesting. And like, you know, as a community organizer, I kind of was like a wannabe urban planner for many years. Like I had to understand urban planning and, and municipal policy really well, um, to, to, to be effective as a community organizer. So, um, a lot of that is just like, um, here are the things that I, that make sense to me about how a city works. Here's how it might be different or better in the future if this problem wasn't there or this thing had been solved. Um, so yeah, that was more of like, you know, the, the urban planning policy wonk, um, in me, um, than anything else. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, when I start to do the, again, the scientific research, um, Either I don't understand it or I'm too excited about it. So I, I tend to to keep it pretty bare bones. Um, 
it, it felt it felt really like intricate when I was reading it. I was like, okay, this feels very much like Sam did some digging or he already had some knowledge beforehand. It just felt like really just felt really intricate in how you did it. Thank but with you. um even with Blade Between, I think. Even with Blade Between, like there was parts of it where I was like, damn, how much does Sam know about Hudson? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the te- yeah, this tiny town. What useful knowledge this is! This is like I did do a lot of research, and I and I did find a lot of things out that like contradicted what I had been told growing up. And then I uh, was like, well, I like the story I heard better than the facts that I found in the research at the Hudson Library. So um, you know, I'm going to keep the 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 legend. Um, so so yeah, there's a lot of research. Some of it, but but some of what you read in the book is bullshit. Well, and I read that in your acknowledgments and I loved that. I was like, yes, sometimes the sometimes the lie is better than or at least is more fancy than the truth. So stick with the lie sometimes. I mean, we're we're, fi- we're fiction writers, right? So all we do right. literally, literally all we do is tell lies. So they better be <laughs> right. good, so, they better be good lies. Like tell the good, best lies. Right. Good fun lies. Like <laughs> But yeah, no, I I appreciated it. It's just like every time I like read so and i know i know i sound like i'm just gushing but uh, yeah i am whatever so i feel like every book i read from you it's like oh this is like a level up like this is like i definitely it makes me as a writer be like okay well what am i doing to like be my like most authentic self on the page so but i think one time we um i think when i came to your book signing like years ago maybe you were talking about short stories and how like when you were looking for like agents or agents are reaching out to you. They were saying like, why aren't you writing like your short stories? Like, why aren't you putting like, you know, so did you just, did you find like short stories was an easier place to like kind of be that authentic self at first? And then it kind of translated into the novels or. No, I mean, I really love short stories and I've always written them and I will, and I still write them. So I think that they're they're like fun little laboratories for like little experiments or like doing doing the weird stuff that you don't care to sustain over the course of a of a full novel. So um, yeah, I I um, try to be authentic in all the, in all the things. Um, but you know um, you know a novel is like a really long journey you got to go on. So you better you better be really happy with what you're wearing on that journey. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and who you're who you're being. Um, with it yeah no for sure i mean i could only especially with like genre hopping i'm sure because it's like that's a risk like like you were saying before it's like you don't know like how it would be received or you know whatnot but for at least for my money i mean i guess i'll ask this like what is your advice for people who are wanting to move between those different genres because i feel like blade between you nailed the thriller pacing like it I couldn't put it down because it felt like I was like watching the, but like I was watching the TV show. So it was just like, oh, I got to get to the next episode. Like, you know, <laughs> so, but in contrast, you had something like Art of Starving where it, it felt like a, it felt like one of those teen movies, but in, in like a really mature way and it tackled like really tough subjects, and, but it, it felt like it was for teens. So I guess just what would your advice be for people who are thinking about going through those different types of genres? 
Yeah, I think that the first thing is to like just read a lot. Like, you know, if you want to if you want to write a book in a genre, you should read all the things. Like everything that has like, you know, gotten a lot of attention, been nominated, like read the awards ballots for the past few years, like see what the landscape is. What do you love? What excites you? What 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 do you hate? What do you wish people would not do anymore? Um and be, you know, like be as knowledgeable as possible. And, you know, trust your gut, do the thing you want to do. Don't feel like, oh, every other novel in this genre that I read has this thing in it. Maybe I should put that thing in it. And if that thing doesn't fit for the story you want to tell or the book you want to write, then maybe you don't actually need it. But the other thing, the key, I think, um, is that, like, have a crew, like, have a team. Like, I, someone said that, like, the spoiler alert to everything Sam J. Miller ever wrote is community is the superpower. Um, and, like, you know, there's there's always, like, you know, collective action or some some kind of like coming together of people that that happens in my fiction because that's how my life is and like I am like if if I'm amazing it's because I have amazing people who um, like you know have made me amazing or to whom I can turn for for feedback or guidance so like being at Clarion and having an amazing Clarion class uh, at the Clarion Science Fiction Fantasy Writers Workshop uh, being in a writers group here in New York City and having amazing like writer colleagues who can critique my stuff. If you're fortunate enough to be at the stage where you have a agent or an editor, like that's an amazing resource. Like the editor for The Blade Between um, is Zach was Zach Wagman, who like edits Dennis Lehane and has done like amazing thrillers. Um, and he could re- he really helped me nail that. Like any anything you responded to in terms of the beats and the flow of the, the thrillerness of it is like that's all Zach. So having a team, whether it's your like your crew, your 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 friends, or the professionals you're privileged to work with at some point, like that's that's going to help you figure out the best way to like tell the story the way you want to tell it. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, I think Washi, you wanted to jump in on this. Yeah, I I'm going to try to see if I can meld a couple of things that you've said today. You said that you watch a lot of TV, um, and then Brent asked a question early on about um, talking about. And you guys were talking about a renaissance of queer uh, fiction. Um, how does, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite TV shows are, but even though one day maybe, uh, but I'm, I'm, I am curious to see how TV or movies influence your writing and creativity. But also, do you think that TV and movies are ahead or behind fiction in um, queer representation in the, in the way that you guys were talking earlier? Well, my favorite show is Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> follow- oh yeah, I love your. I love your. Yeah, my Kiyoshi. Tag. I love your Kiyoshi. <laughs> I love your Kiyoshi. Um, I and Legend of Korra is a close second. I, yeah, I mean, I think that um, as much as I love and watch too much television, too many movies, I think that they're way behind when it comes to queerness. Like um, the Legend of Korra had some like did some amazing queer rep, um, but like. By and large, I think that movies and TV have a long way to go. Um, sure. and I'm not seeing the kind of stories like that that I that I'm seeing um, in in fiction. Um, I mean, they're out there. I'm, I'm not. It's not that they don't exist. It's just they're not in the same kind of numbers. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that what I learn from like TV um, is like the. Emot- like the range of emotions and the power, the storytelling power of like combining really great writing with like amazing acting, brilliant music, powerful cinematography, 
like great animation, like whatever it is, like that is like that takes storytelling to a new level. Uh, and while I don't have those tools at my disposal as a fiction writer, the feelings that it fills me with are something that I can strive to to replicate or emulate. And so like, yeah, I think that if you're serious as a writer, it behooves you to consume as much story as possible and to and to like love, like to love, like that's like I I, I often say like, oh, this is this is work. Like watching this television show is work um, because I'm feeding something, like I'm getting ideas sometimes literally like oh i'm that you can consider that shit stolen like i'm gonna use that <laughs> um and, and sometimes it's like more abstract of like oh that made me feel a thing like can i make that feeling happen again in a, in a different way i love the art of starving um i i consume this novel via audiobook at the speed i usually listen to things but like i slowed it down on purpose because i loved this book it was something about the voice um and just the world that was apparent on the page right away, right? Um, and I, the the main question I have with the with that particular uh, book is the relationship between the um, just the relationships. Uh, how you? I'm just trying to I'm, I'm trying to get you to give us some advice on how to craft relationships. Is it a personal? Is it something that you experienced, or is this like? Because at the end. My, one of my favorite scenes is towards the end and, and the, the two boys are sitting there um, and Matt knows they're not going to be together. And, and he's kind of, he's okay with that. But at the same time, if the, everything else that you crafted before that had to happen in order for that to, to work. Right. So is there any, anything that you can give our community as far as crafting relationships, especially queer relationships. So, I mean, this is our fourth pride episode of the month and, and this is something we've been talking about all month long. So if there's something you can give us to help, uh, help us out, that'd be great. That's not, I know that's yeah. not hundred percent a question, but it's no, it's, it's real. It's the thing that I get the most. I, I don't, it's not hate mail, but I get the most like angry emails about like, dude, what the fuck? Why couldn't they just be together? Um, like that, like, I think that, um, uh, for a relate, like for a relationship to work for me, it has to feel like there's real stakes. Like if, when I think about like the, the relationships that I've loved the most in, in storytelling in books and movies and television, they're the ones where like, it's this, this is like, not like, I, you know, I loved the office. Um, and I love the Jim and Pam arc up to a point. And then once they got together, it's like, well, now it's boring because like in order for like they're, they, we love these two people. And in order for them to like fuck up their relationship, one of them would have to be a jerk, right? Like mm. one of them would have to like do something bad. Um, and then I would hate them. Right. So like you have to have stakes, you have to have the possibility of it not continuing. You have to have like, um, you know, they might love each other, but it might not be, it might not be possible for them to be together for any number of reasons. Like the Golden Compass, um, the original Philip Pullman trilogy is like, that. that's some of my favorite YA and the relationship arc between Will and Lyra um, is like, that's like, it's like, it, I won't spoil it, but it comes to a place that is like, truly impactful and, and really like, does a number on you because it, 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 it isn't, um, it, it's, it's not about like, I always want a happy ending. It's that like, I want the ending to make sense. I want this to be, I want their, their relationship to be like, um, you know, real and human and humans are messy. And so, um, yeah, I guess the, 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 
I could go on and on and I probably am rambling, but yeah, just like having it be like, um, this is like, you know, there's real stakes here. It might not be the way, it might not end up the way that I as a reader want it to end up, but it should end up in a place that feels right and makes total sense to me as a, as a reader. Um, and, and if you do that, you know, also like when I was at Clarion, um, Holly Black was one of my instructors and she's an amazing young adult writer. Um, and she said, she talked about Die Hard and how the stakes in Die Hard are not, will he die? Like if he dies, that's the end of the story. There's no, there's no, like, that's it. It's not like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't die. Uh, I mean, you, you hope he doesn't die. Um, but then that, that doesn't, like, if he dies, that's not gonna like feel like, that's gonna feel like the end of the story. The stakes in Die Hard are, is he, is his relationship with his wife going to work out? Is his like relationship, is, is this journey going to impact his relationship? And so for me, that's like, you know, even if you're not going to kill a character, um, they should have something they love and something they want and something that they don't necessarily, they might not end up with. Um, and that that's, that's how you sort of like make a character feel alive is wanting something and also how you make a reader, um, you know, be invested in their, in their journey. For sure. Uh, so looking at the time, it's my job. Uh, so does anybody have any last questions before we get to our normal last question? Especially since one. we're wrapping up our Pride episodes. Go ahead, Brent. All right. So since we're talking about Pride, we're talking about queerness and all that stuff. Um, what queer authors are who, uh, whatever, whichever one works. Um, <laughs> queer authors that people should be looking out for. Um, I always have a billion of them that I forget when people ask me this question. So I always try to have just like a couple so that instead of giving you like a long stammery list of recommendations, uh, I think it's sort of like de rigueur at this point, but Gideon the ninth um, uh, 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 by Tamsin Muir, um, like, blew me away and like you know it's like i was reading about it everybody was saying how great it was i'm like okay lesbian necromancers in space that does sound amazing but also like i don't know and i was like yes this is amazing this is brilliant um and i love every minute of it um but the book that hasn't come out yet that i think is like the most exciting queer story i've read in a long time is lee mandelo's summer sons which is sort of like a southern gothic queer noir um that is like scary and amazing and does this great job of like from like page one, you like invested in this character's like, like the situation they're in, what they want, where they're going, like they want it really badly and you want it for them. And um, so, yeah, Lee Mandela's Summer Sons um, is the is the one I keep like shoving at strangers <laughs> uh, randomly on the street to say, read this. <laughs> And we'll probably put this in the show notes, right, Marshall? So people can go find it. Yeah, I will do that. Yes, yeah. for sure. Uh, so, Will, do you want to ask the last question? I'm going to throw it to you. Um, with sure. your lag and everything. Yeah, with my lag. Sorry. Um, so our last question is <laughs> what we usually ask everyone. And it's just, what keeps you writing? I'm trying to figure life out. I'm trying to figure out this fucked up world we live in um, and all the things that make me like angry and scared and confused and excited on a on a on a daily basis. And I I, I think that those are things that I'm trying to figure out and I I want to to figure those out. And one way that I do that is by in planting them into stories. Um, and if, um, that's something that people respond to, then, um, that makes me super happy and gives me an excuse to like put my therapy onto paper and, um, expect people to pay attention to it. So yeah, being confused and angry and excited about life. That's awesome. Well, 
I honestly, I can't thank you enough for, for, for being on the show. Uh, I can't wait to dive into the rest of your books. I haven't read them all like some people, but I can't wait. I cannot wait to read the rest of them. So, um, anybody have anything else before we go? Um, yeah, uh, again, Sam, thank you for doing this. I was so excited to do it. Cause I mean, we talk on the internet, but we haven't had a chance to see each other face to for virtual face to face, whatever. It's been a long time. So this was fun. Yeah. Likewise. I had a great time. Thank you all for having me. Um, you know, this is, this is super fun. I, I appreciate y'all. Happy Pride. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.